Hi, everybody. Uh, thank you for tuning in to Talking in Technicolor. I'm here with my friend Drew Houchin, uh, a buddy of hey, mine from the Psychedelic Club out in Fort Collins. Hey, Drew. Hey, what's up? How's it going, everybody? So, Drew, um, I've known him for about a year and a half now. He uh, started with the Psychedelic Club at CSU um, from, I believe, almost the very first meeting, right? Yeah, yeah, I was there for the first meeting. Yep. Yeah, so yeah. Um, we met and kind of hit it off right away. Uh, Drew's read all the same books that I've read and probably more. <laughs> so he uh, he's pretty well versed in uh, the world of psychedelia. Um, what really I found interesting uh, right away, Drew, is uh, how you were telling me that you'd been down to Peru to do ayahuasca and San Pedro mm -hmm. and actually... Uh, sat in circle with Don Howard. Um, for those yep. of you out there yep. who don't know who Don Howard is, he's the fella, if you've seen the Aubrey Marcus documentary about San Pedro, um, he is his shaman uh, during that one. So a little link with Drew. It, it seems like Drew knows a lot of the people out there doing some of the big things in the field right now. So um, he's got a lot of good secondhand knowledge and um, he's on the road to making some of that, some, some firsthand research, uh, down the road, getting right into the field of psychedelia as it grows in terms of a medical science. Um, but yeah, so Drew, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what brings you on the podcast today and, um, yeah, what, what's your experience, man? Lay it on us. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I'm uh, pretty new to Colorado. I come out here of uh, August 2017 um, after ayahuasca in January of 2017, um, and then towed in Mexico. Um, I dropped my life and started to pursue my dreams. And um, <clears throat> up until this point, I've lived a pretty crazy life. I've, I am a victim of someone who spent time in prison for a small amount of cannabis in, in Florida, um, got caught with a quarter of weed bagged up in two different bags, wow, just, a quarter? Two, just a quarter. Oh my and God. it was, in, it, well, two quarters, and it, but it was in two different bags because it was two different kinds. And, so uh, intense. they hit me with it. Yeah. Intent to distribute yeah. automatic felon. I had just turned 18, like two weeks before that. And then get up, get put on probation for this and, uh, fell my first drug test, obviously, cause my system wasn't clean. And then wow. I fought another drug test months later, and I got sentenced to 15 months of oh my God. Depart Department of Corrections in Florida for, for weed. For weed. I spent all that time in prison for weed, and I've been through the legal system for cannabis and then went through some serious, serious prescription pill addiction for quite some time and gotten a lot of legal trouble for that. I've spent a lot of time in, in rehab, and and um, here I am in Colorado pursuing my, my dreams. I'm aspiring to be a, a medical doctor, uh, psychiatrist in particular. I want to work with, legally with psychedelics and I want to help people just like me. You know, I'm going through this process of healing myself and, and I really, really want people to know that it's, it's possible and that there are alternative medicines out here that work very well with with proper education proper integration and very important proper set and setting and proper guidance as well you know so sure let's i i couldn't agree more with all of that and <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, you know it really sounds like and your, your experience is um close to so many 
um, that I've heard with the criminal justice system, it seems like they try to find just any way to get you to spend time or money or what have you. Mm -hmm. I had a friend who couldn't get out of probation even until he passed um, a psychologist's exam. Um, Mm -hmm. And the psychologist worked for the company that was administering his probation. And every Mm -hmm. time they said no, he had to pay for another month of drug tests, another month of, you know, going into their therapist, another another psychological exam, fees and dues. So they had him on the hook for 500 a month just... It's a money trap, man. It Seriously, really it's a money trap. And and during the time of all this, um, I was lucky enough where I paid all my fees off all at one time and my court costs. It was a couple thousand dollars, but they left me alone entirely. The only thing that I had to do was take my drug test and they didn't care about anything else because I've already given them their money. That's all they wanted. That was it. it and, I mean, and that was yeah. it. <laughs> that it, yeah. it really is. I mean, and the, the whole thing about privatizing um, – prisons to me seems like mm-hmm. a I, I was actually was in a private prison actually i, really? I went to a prison yes I, I was um i was sentenced to 15 months the department of corrections in in florida and i was sent to the department of corrections you know which is ran um, by the state and then from there i went to a place called uh, a booking camp basically there you know florida has more penitentiaries than any other state in the country and there's so many there that there's two facilities one down south and one up north where they have to like book everybody and then they and figure out where they're going to send them because there's so many of them and i got sent to a place called Cor- uh, corrections corporations of america cca and it is a private prison and they make their own rules i didn't i didn't see daylight for seven months they didn't wow. let me outside we stayed on lockdown constantly it was bullshit it was. I'm very, very fortunate. I didn't have any problems at all. I've been a mellow guy. Uh, you know, I, I just I got along with everybody, and and I, you know, I was very, very, very lucky to not have any problems in there. Yeah. yeah but I'm a victim. Like a I'm a victim of that. Yeah. You sound like a classic nonviolent offender there exactly yeah exactly and not only that you know i get out and so i have a criminal record at this point mm-hmm. and i get caught on christmas eve with one point at a roadblock in the state of kentucky this is where i was you know living at the time it's where i was born and raised sure. and I, t- I told them that i had a joint and and he said oh look what we have here somebody's going to jail tonight just like that like some kind of smart ass and wow. and he he tried to get me to like snitch on somebody for a joint of weed and he took me to jail that night and i spent christmas eve in jail that night over a joint of weed that i told them about and then i got of course got put on probation and this was like seven months after i had just gotten out of prison and i i've spent a total of 10 years on of on probation in my adult life i i I finally got off in november of 20 13 and it, uh, i mean I, I bawled my eyes out i was finally free i got out of the system i finally went through their bullshit and and man i, I was trapped it is a trap once you're in the it's so hard to get out they keep you in there because they just want to keep keep putting people in prison because they're making money off of these people and they're making money off the people from drug testing from making them do classes from making them do you know all these uh, psych evaluations all this stuff like it's it's a money trap and some of it's impossible for addicts 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 need real help because they are traumatized individuals they're not necessarily criminals and they're not bad people and they don't in my opinion they don't have a disease this is very traumatized people who need need 
proper help. So, yeah, for sure, for sure. And I'll tell you, for a long time, um, I actually was a recruiter, a uh, corporate recruiter. So, um, you know, I was hiring people to work at a call center. I've also hired interior designers, skilled tradesmen, all the way up to nurses, doctors, CEOs, once I switched to medical recruiting. And the, the biggest thing from your $11 an hour call center job uh, back then, maybe it was like eight fifty. because this is like 2007. Right, right. Um, so like close to minimum wage back then. Um, pretty, pretty good job in 2007 in Greeley, Colorado. Um, but I couldn't hire anybody with a drug-related crime, misdemeanor or felony, anybody with um, anything related to theft, anything related to any kinds of violence, um, yep. which I, I can understand that one up to a point, depending on the situation. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely no felons, and um, I've never worked any of these jobs where they didn't require a background check. And the mm-hmm. box that says, are you a felon? I absolutely think they should ban the box. This is a soapbox issue of mine. Because mm-hmm. um, I'll tell you, man, I would have, uh, for instance, you're, you know, you're from the South, so you kind of mm-hmm. know uh, some of the culture down there. I, I knew a gentleman uh, who interviewed very, very well, an African-American gentleman who lived in the South. And in 1984, when he was 18 years old, he was dating the sheriff's daughter and he happened to be a white guy and he's a black guy in uh, the South and he did not like that he was dating his daughter. So he booked him up on statutory charges, even though they were only like six months apart in age because the parent didn't approve apparently in that state, or at least that's what he told me the charge was. And he seemed like a perfectly nice, honest guy. He was like by then, um, probably what would that make him in his forties or fifties probably. Mm -hmm. And, uh, his wife got on the phone, you know, crying. Like he is such a nice guy. He lives an honest life. And, um, the thing is that, that story, even though like, I'll say my gut tells me this person's fine. My gut tells me he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Anytime I ever took something like that to a supervisor or a manager, hiring manager, anyone who's in charge of the position I was hiring for, the answer was just a flat no automatically. Um, It is such a tragedy. Someone spends, you know, say 10 years in prison for having a joint on their person in Texas in the 80s. And they're exactly. fucked for the rest of their life, you know. And now there's people in the government profiting very heavily off of cannabis in legal states right now, which is utterly bullshit. There's still people in legal in states that are illegal who are doing serious time for selling cannabis. And now people in states like Colorado, you got people like making major profits off of selling cannabis. And it's it's so backwards right now. We need we need federal legalization of cannabis and we need federal legalization of all drugs, actually. Yeah. Not just not just criminalization. We need legalization. We need that to stamp out cartels. Yeah, I mean, it will stamp out overdoses. It will stamp out, you know, 
um, diseases transmitted through needles. It will, it, it will eventually, it will take time, but let I me mean, just look at Portugal. I mean, they're they having incredible results with what they are doing. Oh yeah. And it's, it's, the war on drugs is not a war on drugs. It's a war on people and it's a war on consciousness is what it is. Well, you so, know, uh, back in the Nixon days uh, when they put out the Controlled Substances Act, you know, mm-hmm. he was actually caught on tape saying that it was to keep black and brown people and liberals down. Yeah, like hippies. The, hi- the hippies and black people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they still they I feel like they still do that. I mean, it's they systematically with crack cocaine wreck the you know African-American communities and Section 8 communities and the 80s and and here we are still today where where african americans are being profiled and killed by police officers and it's 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 getting ridiculous we something something needs to change yeah. oh yeah yeah like when i look at, back at my life and think about all the times i've mouthed off to police officers because uh i actually grew up with a former cop in my house my father yeah. i was a cop down in corpus christi texas um for several years he he quit when a gang leader killed his partner and just like oh, okay. yeeted out of Texas at that point. Right. Yeah. Um, I bet so. Yeah. But I get the impression that he was kind of a crooked cop as well. Cause most things were framed as, um, what, you know, what should you say in this situation to benefit yourself? So, um, yeah. anytime I've been asked, can I search your vehicle? I say, no, you don't have permission. Um, unless, you know, I'll get in trouble for saying no, but I, I have other things to do. And unless there's probable cause to search my vehicle, I'm not interested. And Mm -hmm. every fucking single time I've gotten away, it was 421 year and there was a, a, a marijuana pipe on my back seat, a new one, luckily one that had not been used because there was a 420 sale in Boulder and I bought a nice piece and, uh, it's sitting on the back seat there and he still decided not to search my car. Cause I said, no. And I think that that is pure privilege right there. Uh, if I was a black guy or a Hispanic guy, I would absolutely not been spending the night at home. You know, mm-hmm. that's the way it is with me too. You know, I'm a, I'm a white male, but with my record and with all the tattoos and long hair and all that, I get the same profiling. I mean, I, I have been profiled my whole entire life and being pulled over for absolutely nothing. And they want to search me, but they automatically, they come to the window as, Hey, Mr. Houchin, I see that you uh, have felonies and this and this and that. Is there anything that I didn't know about that's in the car? That's their first questions. They don't even ask me about my license registrations. They ask me about my felonies and see if I'm, I'm going to lie to them or not about it. Wow. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just feel like once you've, paid your debt to society quote unquote i mean it's been over 10 years since i have have any run-ins with the law well over 10 years almost 11 now luckily i haven't even been pulled over anything in 11 years so i but hopefully by this point if something happened like they would obviously see you know it's been this long and but yeah and i i would think if if i were to build a better system and you know that's a complicated ball of wax to even you know think about but one component for me would absolutely have to be after a certain amount of time it shouldn't even be visible 
on your record if you've done everything you're well, supposed it's, to. Well, it's not, actually. They can still pull it up in the court of law, but for instance, like, I really want to work the cannabis industry mm-hmm. out here, um, and at first when I moved out here, it was 10 years you had to wake, and um, it was 10 years as of last October for me since I've caught a felony, and um, they actually dropped it, and so I'm now eligible to not even have to check that box, yes, that I've been convicted of a felony because it's been so That's long. Good. So. That is, that is, That's yeah, awesome. things are changing a little bit like that. You know, places like Nevada, you know, they're no longer drug testing. I believe it's Nevada. They don't drug test for cannabis anymore, you know, for, for employee, for employees. So yeah, well, I, it's happening. I, I get continually kind of fed up with the state of Colorado uh, on that matter. You know, that kind of their guidance. And this is one thing that I can say I made my mark on uh, Greeley, Colorado, at least. Um, I was the hiring manager for, um, StarTech down in Greeley. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had two sites in Greeley that I did all the hiring for basically. And, uh, you know, I talked to the group of the head of HR and his assistant. And basically I had an old lady who had glaucoma, who had her medical card, who passed all of our requirements, had great background, and would be like a 10 out of 10, we hire this person on the spot. Right. Um, and I said, the only thing is she's going to pop for marijuana. And I know we have, um, you know, a deadline to get X amount of hires for the next hire date. And effectively, um, I said, you know, state of Colorado just uh, legalized marijuana or at least legalized, um, it was medical at the time. Medical, yeah. Yeah. And she has the card. She has a prescription from her doctor. Um, We say prescriptions are supposed to be okay. Um, Mm -hmm. And I know that because we're Colorado and this thing just got opened up a little bit, um, groups like Normal and other folks, if they heard about it, surely there would be somebody all over it and complaining. And so basically I convinced them like, okay, to look at what can the rule be. And they let me write the rule for um, one Good. of the top awesome. like three biggest employers in Weld County. So cool. yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty neat, but that, you know, it's just experiences like that and stories like yours that man, I just feel like our, you know, I, I know this isn't a hot take. A lot of people are saying this, but I feel like our criminal justice system is really pretty fucked. It's fucked in the ass is what it is like <laughs> in, entirely, man. It's, it's, it's systematically racist. It's all built around profits. It's built around keeping poor people poor and people who are in the system in the system. Seriously. Yeah. I, I went through the system for over 10 years. I know how it works. It, I, I mean, it, it really, really sucks. It was a very, very hard time of my life. I went in and out of the rehabs. I stayed in addiction because I was just in and out of the system. Couldn't get ever, could never get any help. They just wanted to go send me to jail every time that I pissed dirty for, for weed or for a benzo or something instead of asking me, do you have a problem? Do you, do you think you need help? You're going to jail for 30 days because you, you know, you felt a drug test and it's, that's, that's how I was. I mean, they, I dealt with that for so long in Kentucky. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. What a nightmare. Well, I think I can safely speak for a lot of people and say, I'm, I'm glad you've made it out of that trap at this point. Me too. Me too. I'm, I'm one of very few. There's not many people like me who come out the other side 
and who end up living a successful life like I aspire to live. Seriously, sure. and I, I, I owe it all to psychedelics and very intense integration uh, along with, you know, psychedelic integration, psychotherapy and mm-hmm. being involved in ketamine assisted psychotherapy right now, you know, that, that has been a changer for me as, as far as things like meditation, yoga, trying to take care of my body, which, you know, I'm from the South. I grew up eating, you know, meat and potatoes every day and biscuits and gravy and that's been one of the toughest things is trying to change my diet but it's slowly but surely happening and but things are great man and you know i can't i I look at my life and like look 10 years ago and me strung out not even i'm homeless sitting on a park bench but not even my best friend would let me in his house because i was so strung out i had just wrecked my car that day and like i'm sitting there homeless with nothing going i got to do something different and here i am like living out my wildest dreams like anybody can do it like dude good so. for you man that's fucking you. fantastic i'm very proud of myself I've, I've really learned to fall in love with who i am where i am falling in love with who i am and what i want what i what i want to do and it's been very rewarding so that that's beautiful man i i think Thank you. self-love is one of the hardest things to learn it is I never experienced until I was 31 years old. Wow. Seriously, and I'll be I'll be 34 in June, and it's only been this long, and it's very very weird still. Yeah. But psychedelics are the very time that would, you know it quiets my uh, molecular enough to where I can allow conscious thought come through and look, remind myself I'm a, I'm a beautiful person in that I've worked very hard to get where I am and where I'm going and what I'm doing and I'm doing mm-hmm. exactly what I want to be doing in life right now like i wouldn't change things seriously everything is exactly how i want it and when i look around it's like a dream a dream come true it really is and this is just the beginning of it too yeah so that it sounds like you've covered a lot of a lot of ground like going from where you were to where you are and you say psychedelics is or psychedelics are <laughs> i should say yeah. um a, a big factor in how you get there so i guess i was kind of curious to see i guess let, let's start from the beginning what was your your first trip like at least in terms of one that really cracked you over the head and said yeah for sure up. um it, even at the age of i started very very young at the age yeah. of 13 on my 13th birthday we stole a joint from one of my friend's parents and i got so stoned fell in love with it but um from when my parents got divorced like i was this free-spirited you know person whenever that bond got broken from me it destroyed me and i shut off from the age of five all the way up until the age of 13 when i hit that joint seriously i'd shut off and i felt free and so i started trying anything i could get my hands on and by the age of you know the 13 on early ages of 14 um, i was already eating pills like trying xanax and you know opiates and things like that and i get caught with a book of rolling papers my um like the second week of my freshman year of high school and and my mom sends me to live to panama city florida this is in the year 2001 sends me to live with my dad in panama city florida beach the heyday of mdma and i was four i was 14 years old and you can i've looked them up on dance safe and they the first time i ate mdma was 14 i ate two 
four leaf white white four leaf clovers that were shaped like clovers and after doing my research they contain a half or a quarter gram of pure mdma i ingested wow. a half a gram of pure mdma the very first time i ever took a psychedelic at the age of 14 blew my, blew my motherfucking mind even <laughs> yeah. even even at the age of 14 me and like four of my friends are sitting there holding the hands and hugging each other telling us how much we love each other and what we mean we had no idea what we had I had no fucking clue and also living in panama city florida you know with um Celeste cubensis in particular golden teachers grow wild everywhere nice. so we were we were going around at the age of 14 and 15 going picking filled uh, mushrooms from the fields and skipping school and going eating, filling our heads with mushrooms and running around on the beaches all day you know just nothing but a pair of shorts on it was it's the most amazing time of my life it really was we we didn't have any direction but we knew better than to eat mdma more than like once maybe twice a month nice and it's we we, we always like made it a ritual with mushrooms to where we would like plan to go pick them and like not eat anything and go to the beach or certain places and consume them and then we'll walk down the beach and we didn't even know what we were doing with them but somehow like they guided us along the ways to some of these experiences i mean it's it was wild. I, I honestly use psychedelics kind of reckless, reckless. I ain't going to say too recklessly, but very, very uneducated all the way up until the age of 30 years old, actually. Um, I took, I've taken a couple hiatuses that whenever I was 18, uh, I ate about nine grams of mushrooms, probably about, you know, 90 grams fresh that I picked. Wow. And it, it, I, I lost, I lost my head that day. And I have, I, I didn't touch them for like, four and a half or five years probably wow. uh, yeah it was a very very long time and then um that's whenever the addiction like really took hold and uh, you know that's a whole another conversation but um after getting out of the last rehab um i was doing really really well for for about four years but i just felt lost i had stopped doing the drugs and everything i was actually making really good money running restaurants i've been cooking for 20 years i'm really good at what i do but just i wasn't doing anything else i was working i wasn't doing shit with my life like i wasn't happy whatsoever and i actually got fed up with the place i was working quit my job and i, I was since i was so good i got hired on like two doors down at this really nice bakery and uh, some guy asked me if I'd ever heard of Aubrey Marcus and uh, I had nice. not. And um, the first podcast I listened to was um, him and Joe Rogan talking about one of his ayahuasca experiences of him. And it blew my mind. Like yeah. up until that point, there, there had been times where whenever I was like 25, where um, I would eat, you know, like five grams of dry mushrooms and it wouldn't do anything to me except like give me crazy visuals that was it i never had a mystical experience other than like that first time i had mdma that was a mystical experience um i had a few of those on mdma which now now what i know i wasn't always eating mdma i probably had mda mde 2cb there was probably some 2ci in there somewhere all kinds of different stuff and ecstasy back then but some of those were pure mdma um but anyways um listen to this podcast and out of all these psychedelics that I had eaten and taken, I was just, I was like, no way, no way. I didn't believe it. And like, um, it was very, very odd, you know, as it's a place that I was unhappy and, um, 
I started getting the calling to go to Peru and like having dreams about like mother ayahuasca coming to me. It was a wildest thing. I didn't never even heard of ayahuasca. So I started listening to every podcast I could find about this. And it was just blowing my mind, people's stories about, you know, addiction and, and what, you know, things that I've been through and people sure. walking out the other side with this. And so within six months, mm-hmm. I had planned a trip, um, with spirit quest, you know, with Don Howard. And I was down there in January of 2017 and, well, I did five ceremonies while I was down there and it, it, the first two were actually very mild and they say, you know, uh, mother ayahuasca was kind of getting to know me, I guess. Sure. And the third, third ceremony blew my mind. I had no idea what I was in for. Like, I, um, you know, all this anxiety I've been packing around and like insecurity and, and fear of rejection and things like that. Um, it all came crashing in at one moment and I was like pulled out of my body into a like, visionary hell realm that i would consider my own hell realm but as i felt like i was dying and and like dissolving my ego i was being stuck in this mindset of oh no there's all this anxiety and stuff and stuck in that mind state in this visionary hell realm i felt like i was stuck in hell and as this is like happening like i started feeling like my like my being was transcending and i i came out of it and transcended into a place that was like made of translucent grid lines and i was greeted by by shiva and by buddha i had no idea who shiva was at the time i'm from nebo kentucky way out in the country raised southern baptist and i was greeted by of course knew who buddha was but i knew greeted by buddha and shiva and weren't like the people buddha and, and shiva the gods they were statue figures actually and they were like gr- greedy yeah right they were like greeting me and welcoming me there and um i had like 360 vision in this space and um it was it was so wild as the buddha was sitting in this compartment and i was like observing around the 360 vision all the way around him. And he had this coffee table and underneath the coffee table, there was like three orbs of light. And for some reason I knew that like they were, they contained like all of all of the universe and all the time and space and energy and every, every experience ever was in these orbs of light in this plane of reality. And um, I started hearing this voice that that was telling me it loved me. It's like, I love you. I love you. And at the time I thought it was, you know, um, it, it was, you know, the divine talking to me, telling me how much he loves me. And I, I, I he asked me, he goes, oh, what do you want to know? And I, at the time, my intention was, what am I doing with my life? And I, I had like five very, very intense visions. And they were very, very, they were very vivid, but at the same time, fragmented. And it was hard to bring back. And they had to do with cannabis plants and and this girl that it wouldn't show me her face and and uh, yeah moving out west and um and uh and was this before you had moved out west no no i was still in kentucky oh, okay. and 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 uh, like the last there was quite a few of them but these are the main ones that stuck out and the, and the last one was um um, me shaking hands with Rick Doblin, actually. Really? That was the last, yeah, that was the last vision during that. And, uh, you know, I came out of that and it was, it was mind blowing. I, I put down cigarettes. I'm unfortunately smoking cigarettes again, but from that, you know, first heavy ceremony uh, for almost 18 years, I smoked, you know, cigarettes. I put them down and didn't touch them for 18 months from that one wow. ceremony. I mean, it was, it was very, very healing. And the next night was, every every bit is wild i mean it's it's even hard to go into what you know words are hard to put well, well let me in into perspective you know so 
well, before we move on to another one, let me let me ask you a, a couple questions about that. Because um, I thought it was really interesting some of the descriptors you were using. Because um, you had uh, mentioned seeing some like translucent grid lines. And yeah. um, it's really interesting that you saw Hindu symbolism after oh, I know. That. I know that now. I had yeah. no idea at the time. And I used to see that on like heavy doses of psilocybin before yeah. I was really educated about this all the time. Green grid lines everywhere, like mapped out in the universe on psilocybin, like open eyed visuals, yeah. not even on another plane of existence, like, like some sort of visuals. crazy vapor wave, like traffic wild, from yeah. the 90s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, I just watched a show. Uh, called the Midnight Gospel. Have you been hearing people talk I've, about I've this? I've watched the entire series already. I've yeah. known about Duncan Trussell for years. I've been listening to his podcast. He's awesome, man. I like that. He, he's an amazing person. He's, yeah. he's like a guru, but he's hilarious. He's like a comedian. You know, he's just a he's just a regular guy, but he's been you know studying all these different religions, and he's like a yeah. master almost, man. I mean, he's an awesome person. Well, I gotta tell you it was really interesting uh the episode where they were in the space prison and he kept dying over and over and over yeah and the, the bird was getting the feathers plucked out and they were putting them on the the, the you know the the scale yeah. yeah that's all that's all i feel like my life has been going for the last like fucking 15 years actually i've been doing that learning the same lessons over and over and over with addiction and here it is and like I'm, the scale is not only almost balanced it's about to like i'm about to overcome that saying rise above that shit you know oh yeah and it's through you know it's, it's a slow process I've, I've learned that over the years here in the west we want to take a pill and we're going to be fixed and spiritual awakening is fucking hard man well, it's so hard it's been dirty man it has it's been ugly but it's been so worth it though and especially here recently when everything's coming into fruition after three and a half years so yeah man well, I, and I, I think it's it's interesting in that mindset as well with just wanting to take a pill and be fine. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people um, really do try to approach it right now with <laughs> a very Western perspective like that. Um, you know, if I microdose... LSD, I can get better at coding, or yeah, um, yeah, they're they're going from this stuff. Like, I think that's fucking bullshit. Honestly, microdose guy, like, um, I am microdosing psilocybin, but I'm more of a heavy dose, full ego dissolution experience to understand that we are not our thoughts and that we are not our body, (laughs) and there we are more than that, and that we can overcome things like anxiety and depression by understanding that. It's, it's a mindset, and it's our attachment to these things. And it's also from deep-rooted traumas, normally from childhood, that most of us aren't even aware that it affected us, you know? I was Whenever I was five years old, just from my parents getting divorced, I shut off, and I had this lens over my eyes that of, like, fear of abandonment and fear of rejection and fear of judgment. And I put it on at five years old, so I lived my life not realizing I had this lens over my eyes, and I shut off. All the way up until, you know, 30, 30, 31 years old when I went to Peru, I was completely shut off person. You know, I had no idea who I was or what I wanted or anything. I was a lost puppy for that long. 
And it was something, you know, people would say as minute as my parents getting divorced, but breaking the bond of the, the two people deal. who created me, it's fucking huge, man. And, and it destroyed me at five years old and I completely shut off. I oh, didn't sure. talk much. I was, I mean, I shut off and, and yeah, it's, but luckily I'm, I'm working, I'm, I pinpointed those traumas and I'm now actively working through them. So well, yeah. I'll, I'll say for me too, um, especially learning from San Pedro and even ayahuasca to a degree. Um, I, I would say that a concept that has become really, really important in my life, um, having grown up in a pretty broken home uh, myself, uh, right. cycle of abuse and, you know, parents divorced as well, um, fought like cat, cats and dogs for way yeah. more years than they ought to have. But, um, it's really shown me personally, and I'd like to see what you think about this. Um, I feel like the concept of intergenerational trauma is huge. Like yep. in my family, you can see the ripples that one action oh, three yeah, generations back goes like my mm-hmm. great grandfather, um, abandoned my grandfather. So he grew up without a father. So he didn't know how to be a dad. And mm-hmm. raised my dad, who didn't know how to be a dad because his dad didn't. And then yeah. I had to, through a lot of work, um, unlearn all of their collective intergenerational ancestral trauma yeah. that rolled down to me so I don't pass that on to my sons. And yeah. uh, mm-hmm. that's one thing that I would say plant medicine has really taught me is not just trying to heal my heart, but, um, you know, healing the future generation. Yeah. yeah Cause of your family. Yeah, for sure, dude. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like it goes along with this idea that we talk about a lot, the, not like what we post on Facebook, but the concept of the meme, um, yeah. almost like we have DNA that shows, um, that, expresses in our body as different features we have or characteristics, mm. blood type, what kind of nose you have, you know, all that stuff. But a meme uh, is this idea that there's almost a structure in the invisible world of ideas and information. So you may have a meme, you know, maybe your great, great, great grandmother, um, you know, was really afraid of snakes so then her daughter, her daughter, her daughter, her daughter, all the way down to mm-hmm. you, um, all just the whole family is super terrified. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yep. Well, I think it's, just, I think personally, man, I think it works the same way with food and obesity. It, well, you know, things like I, I, I'm not a doctor, but this is just my theory that I'm one day I'm hoping to, you know, to that, Things like, you know, high cholesterol and heart disease and diabetes and things like that are not hereditary so much. They probably do have some to do with hereditary over the years, 
but you eat like your parents eat that like they taught you to eat and you teach your kids to like like your parents taught you to eat yeah. and so on and so on and so it runs in your family because nobody ever stops and goes fuck that i'm gonna take care of myself i'm gonna i'm gonna put nice things in my body and get good things out and you teach your children to do that and break those kind of curses i mean i don't know i could be wrong about that but i'm hoping to do a study on that one day if i'm you know when i'm a doctor and that could be some something huge to change our medical community you know i mean who knows but could be completely wrong about that but. i i can tell you personally you know i grew up with canned vegetables if we had vegetables canned like peaches and pears and stuff because my mom grew up um she was a military brat so right. her dad was a chaplain who got sent to different stations you know they did germany he went had to go out to vietnam and give people their last rights out in the field oh, like shit, yeah. yeah being a chaplain in vietnam would be kind of crazy i think so yeah but so they all ate canned food um because they were living on army bases you know eating army food right. in the 70s so um that's exactly how we ate we ate things like chip beef on toast um mm -hmm. you know a lot of just you know canned peaches and syrup <laughs> like it's hardly fruit mm -hmm. at that point and so i was uh out living on my own uh before i really had fresh vegetables or right. fresh fruit and uh I'll tell you, you know, I wouldn't want to eat that stuff when I was a little kid, but I always loved yeah. beans from the garden because that was the fresh vegetable time of the year, right. you know. Mm. Um, but I think kids will eat what you show them you eat and what you put in front of yourself and them. And, uh, you know, so my three-year-old loves to go in the garden and pick all the different kinds of lettuce and eat them. See, that's cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, their favorite yeah, so, breakfast is usually like either a fruit salad or steel-cut oatmeal with raisins in it. So. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that's good. That's probably because that's what they see you eating, right? I mean, I'm assuming so. Yeah, I I eat. Um, I I drink a lot of beer, so that's why I'm a little no, oh, yeah, a little yeah. thick. Um, <laughs> but I, I eat pretty good. Um, we have a lot of greens and especially mushrooms. Um. I eat a lot of mushrooms too, a lot of oysters and lines, man. Yeah, have and, you yeah. been out foraging or have been. yet this time of year? No, I haven't. I don't know anything around here yet, so oh, I just well, been going to the hazelnut mushrooms right down by my house, so I can just go up there and buy some fresh mushrooms growing and you know cook them up. Yeah, so. they're hazel dell. Um, shout out to those guys out. Yeah, for sure, Windsor, they're awesome. Colorado. Yep, they, mm -hmm. you can get like. So I see a lot of mushroom growers on my feed. Um, I just have a lot of friends in the mycology community. Um, people who's the first time watching this, I'm the president of the local my mycological society in Fort Collins. So I'm hooked in with a lot of the people who go out and forage and cultivate. Um, but they're charging 15, 20 bucks a pound for fresh grown mushrooms. Hazel Dell, $10 a pound. 10 bucks. Yeah. And they sell half pounds too. So and, like, yeah. that's like, a big old doggy bag full of lions, man. You Huge. Can't it'll it'll deal. feed four people. It'll feed four or five people. You know, one pound will. Yeah. Oh, my family like will buy a pound and have mushrooms and eggs for breakfast every morning for like three, four days in a row, and that's yeah. a pound. That um, sounds really good, actually. Yeah. Right now, though, um, 
out there, and I, I posted a picture of it in one of my previous videos, um, episode three, I have been finding a ton of oyster mushrooms, just beautiful flushes, and I have to tell out you... Out here? Oh, yeah, like... Really? Yes, uh, anywhere where there's cottonwoods and water. Um, I have a bunch of cottonwood that I just got for free that I'm going to inoculate. I've been growing nice. oyster mushrooms indoor, and I have my cakes, and I'm going to like rub my cakes all over them, and hopefully water them and so yeah well i'm i actually have um some oyster mushroom dowels coming from north spore pretty soon oh nice cool. so i've found that a lot of the municipal like tree care companies right now or that not yeah. tree care companies but in the parks uh they're cutting a lot of logs so you can go out and get some fresh cottonwood pretty easily this time of year and okay. some of the I same mean, yeah okay well, some of the same spaces I'm searching for oyster mushrooms, they're cutting those those branches down too. So, right. my hope is to find one that's infected already. Take yeah, a log yeah. Home. Of mycelium, and yeah, that would that be, would be a story. Yeah, not that right. I've seen quite a few people who've done that just on some of the forums, like yeah, mm -hmm. scored an oyster log, and it'll fruit the next you know five yeah. years if you take care of it. I know, and just water it and feed it, and yeah, yeah, yeah but it's. We'll have to go out and do that sometime. Uh, take you oyster hunting. It's yeah. Well, I mean, we're off to stay at home order. I'm going out hiking tomorrow. If you want to join us, so we're going to the Boy State Park. I have a I have a year pass. So well, I got my kids until the weekend. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll yeah, talk yeah. about it more. Um, yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, uh, back to the, the ayahuasca. Actually, yeah, that's where we left off. Journey two, um, I think we were on right. Uh, that journey three actually was my uh, mind blowing win, and and on to journey four. Um, journey four, I basically, um, it was very different. I was put in like a trance like state, like a dream like mm -hmm. state. I was like halfway aware that my body was still in the maloka, laying on the mat, but yeah. I was still like having this visionary experience, and and this blue voluptuous like goddess come out who they call mother ayahuasca and, and got at me by the hand and i got to basically relive my childhood up to around 14 or 15 years really? old except it from my from my 31 year old perspective at the time i got to see a lot of beautiful memories that i forgot that i had with my dad whenever before you know his, my parents got divorced that, that my mind just you know shut off because i only remember the bad because he wasn't around anymore i mean i got to like remember what it was being like laying in a in a crib i mean as a newborn baby i mean i, I, I got to like enter my body as a two-year-old i remember staring into a mirror all the time in my mom's room she had this like big like stand-up mirror that was oak like you know finished and uh, I, I got to go to there and like look at my two-year-old self in the mirror with my 31 year old perspective and nice. on to to where the day my dad left and understood that what they were going through and you know thinking it was my fault or something and understanding that was the beginning of the understanding that you know some people just don't work out and the kids are normally one who pay the price and um yeah that's basically where i put those lens on that i was talking about and that was me you know living that out until the drug years and seeing why i did drugs because i was you know I found a group of people that accepted me and was showing me love for the first time. I mean, you know, without yeah. the bond of the parents and yeah. So it was, a uh, it was very, very healing. And then, and, and that, that, uh, 
that was my fourth ceremony. The fifth ceremony was very mild. I think they do purpose. The first two are mild. The second two are like very strong. And then the fifth one is also mild to kind of like bring you back down out of it. But, you know, I came back to Kentucky in that little town and I didn't have anybody to talk to. You know, they kind of just left me high and dry, to be perfectly honest. They never called me and asked me how I was doing or nothing. So I started doing yoga every day, meditating every day and reading books every day. And I actually found found this book. This is uh, The Tote of Dawn. And uh, Rek Razam wrote that book. And um, I read that book in like one day. Um, nice. And it, it's actually autobiography of Octavio, Octavio Reddit, which I don't know really what happened to him. That's a whole other story. But Rek Razam wrote the book. And so I contacted Rack and, you know, told him about my ayahuasca experiences and what I've been going through and my life story and all that stuff. And um, he invited me to come to Mexico where it's completely legal to do, you know, toad medicine, bobbing the ODT. And after reading the book, that was like, uh, I have to go. And these people that I met in Peru, like, uh, like a month, a month later, Rack contacts me and he's like, there's still four spots for people backed out. Do you know anybody? So I got to go with three other people that I went to Peru with and did ayahuasca, nice. which was very, very special. It's very awesome. But I mean, I, I was so lost at the time and nobody told me anything about ayahuasca other than me reading books and listening to podcasts nonstop and doing whatever I can because I didn't know anybody else that had been through this. And um, so I was ready for anything when I got down there and uh, I had a full 75 milligram dose on my second day. And the only way I know to explain it is, um, I mean, I'm a, I'll, I'll keep it vague, um, but I became infinite. I became the universe. I mean, I I, I died. My body literally fell down. Fiving me DMT, like um, it shuts down the entire pre prefrontal lobe, like and so you fall out, and like uh, the ego completely shuts off, and so it was just like death. And instead of like an endometriptamine to where you're blasted off into an alternate reality and experience a crazy landscapes and entities. I was shot back in, into this body, but I had no recollection of who I was or even what it meant to be human. And all the people around me, they were me and I was them. And, and we were all the universe. We were all God and the sand that I was picking up everything. And like my body was doing madra poses like automatic. I didn't know what madra poses was at the time. This was like right after ayahuasca. Sure. I was like, I was like in madra poses, sitting on the beach, running up and down the beach and um that was the first day in in 31 years of my life that i told myself i love myself that's and during that during that split moment i healed so fucking much and that was the beginning of the journey but i will say you know i, I dropped my life in kentucky after that and i started to follow my dreams i moved out here to cotto to to you know follow my follow my dreams but it was it's been a really hard two and a half years trying to integrate you know I've, I've i haven't done many psychedelics whatsoever um i went through a phase where i was eating a bunch of acid and just hanging out but it started being like work it wasn't fun anymore and i wasn't i wasn't looking for the work right now i didn't really understand sure. that i had just opened pandora's box yeah and so things things started getting you know weird and and, and so i um, was very fortunate enough to somebody reached out to me and that I know that was going to Denver to a psychotherapist who was, um, you know, recommended through mass for psychedelic integration psychopathy. And so I started that mm -hmm. like a year ago and, um, I, sw I switched a job back in October and I couldn't do that anymore and started going to the NOAC society and met someone there. 
and and luckily he does the same thing and he also works for maps and he has a has a phd so he is now my psychotherapist and doing psychedelic integration psychotherapy and also we have integrated the ketamine psychotherapy in there which has done absolute wonders for me like you know know, ketamine it attaches to the glutamate receptors and it helps create new neural networks Mm -hmm. in in rats anyways and not from from taking the way i I have i think it does in humans as well but it and it alleviates depression within three hours and sometimes it can last up to a month or so but it has done wonders for me and i've been very thankful in my recent experience you know i didn't use psychedelics for three years and here this past week i've sat with psilocybin for the first time in three years years and it was the most beautiful experience i actually got to blast off on dmt during the peak of a two gram penis in the experience and i became infinite again just like i did in mexico and all these three years of work that was so fucking hard and i felt like i was going crazy all came into fruition just like that and it's and the, the things that have been happening in the last week i can't even explain it's it's like the yeah. things that were happening after i did toad yeah my life is getting insane again I mean, my, my friends who are in this community have PhDs working for maps and who are legally working with MDMA here in Fort Collins. They're my friends. And like they're it's it's amazing what these molecules have done for me whenever I've done the work as well. It's so beautiful. And I can't wait to see what's happening. You know, I've, I've, I've found the love of my life and she's on this journey with me. And it's it, I can't wait to see what's going to happen. I think I'm going to live out my wildest dreams on this earth. Like, and if re- reincarnation is a thing, I think I'm not my life cycle. I have no fucking clue. I don't know shit. So I could tell they like, like Dennis McKenna says, if I know one thing, <laughs> if they taught me one thing is I don't know shit. shit. And I, I totally agree with that, man. But like, yeah, I feel like, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, right. I feel like I'm going to get to live out my wildest dreams on this earth. Like for real, in this body, it's true. And it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. That's great, man. Well, I, I got to tell you, um, it, it sounds like, and this is one thing I'm really interested in as, um, you know, my undergrads in anthropology, uh, right, cultural right. anthropology. So um, one sort of project I'm working on right now is um, collecting as many trip stories as I can. Uh, no, I got so many. Well, <laughs> the, the, the idea is um, I'm trying to compare them once I get enough interviews recorded and transcribed, um, I should be able to use some software um, that I used in a previous ethnography we did in college under a uh, professor out there who's doing uh, World of Warcraft ethnography. Okay. Um, <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty neat. Um, but basically it flags the amount of time certain phrases or archetypes are mentioned so you can go right. through and okay. categorize and flag things so you can take uh, some soft data, you know, an interview, and now turn it into hard data kind of, yeah. by frequency, right? Right, okay. um, right. right. Mm-hmm. So kind of the idea is um, I'm trying to look at as many archetypes as I can. So um, let's take it back to the, the grid lines. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I've heard of that described at, of as Indra's net, before um which okay. is a really common uh, piece of symbolism i guess um in hinduism mm-hmm. and the, i don't know much about it but i do know that though. well the, the interesting thing about that is i hadn't heard about it either 
until a mushroom trip I had with a friend back in January. <laughs> <laughs> until I was laying down and um, closed my eyes. I was with a friend and um, we, it was pretty beautiful. We had actually had sort of a feud that lasted about 10 years and uh, have recently reconnected and decided to do some mushrooms together. I think low-key it was a little bit of a way, at least for me and I think for him too, to heal that severed relationship of years yeah, right. and try to really reconnect because there was always some tension there and so i just laid down because it's very important to me during a trip to have some closed eyed laying down time me too i like to meditate yeah and so he it was the first time i'd ever listened to this group uh i'm sure you've heard of them spongle or oh, yeah, yeah. I, got, I got to see spongle live's last show at red rocks last year it was oh, epic man. it was amazing yeah well when things ever open back up i definitely would like to go to a concert of theirs but um it was the song i think the jellyfish uh climbs its way up the mountain or something like that but my eyes were closed and i'd never heard this before and um all of a sudden family members uh or at least people that felt like relatives or good people and they may have even just been random people but they felt very familial and loving, including, weirdly, my father-in-law, um, yeah. Sarah's uh, stepfather, Alan, uh, appeared in this vision to me. Um, but um, these people all faded away, like, into kind of a mist and became this, like, neon, purple, pink, like, hot pink, purple... Um, net with different nodes where the different people who were standing over me were standing uh kind of became that the nodes on the net and uh when i saw that on um that midnight gospel show it made my blood <laughs> fucking run cold because i had been there before and yeah, I've been there you were describing times. the net too and yeah, I know many times. Uh, Mike, who was on a previous episode, yeah. has seen, he called it the interdimensional grid. And uh, it seems like a lot of people are seeing this net. I've like, seen it many, many times. Like very open-eyed visuals on high-dose mushrooms where the net is very open-eyed visuals and it like follows me wherever I go. It's like the really? universe is perfect, perfectly mapped out and these like green grid lines man i've had some really crazy experiences on like high doses of mushrooms like before i was educated or even knew what really? i was doing so but yeah like tell me this like what was like close-eyed and I'll, I'll tell you if you after this but i, I want to hear what's the craziest thing that you've seen just like visually but not what was that open eyed visuals closed closed well okay it's hard well whenever you break through on dmt it doesn't matter if your eyes are open or closed sure well, okay um, um here most recently whenever i broke through on, on dmt i've been eating mushrooms and um i probably smoked about 70 milligrams of, of dmt through my vapor genie and I, it, vapor genie has a health stone in it so it burns it at a perfect temperature so you can get the entire hit and i hit it three really big times Goodness. and i completely i completely fully broke through and I uh, was blasted into the waiting room, and um, I don't know if you know who Insetigris is. He's an artist, but I was taken into his artwork. Uh, he is so really? good at depicting the, quote, waiting room 
of of endless hallways of ever changing like tubes of geometry and then also it turned from that to alex gray's rendition of the endless hallways of the godhead everywhere and then then from there i was blasted into what felt like a like a board meeting of entities and they were like these translucent beings and they like stood up and greeted me and uh, they were like trying to explain to me that like my, my mom was racing so much trying to make sense of what was happening. And, and they were just like, everything is everything, man. Stop trying to take so much attachment to it. Just chill out, just relax. And like, it, but during this whole time, the weirdest thing about when I break through on DMT, son is there telling me, Hey, breathe. Remember to breathe my body. And I felt my body go. That's great. They'd be like, Hey, breathe. It, it's so wild. But whenever I came back out of that, my body was in the lotus position and I was sitting like this. And my cat was laying in my lap and it was just, it was, it was so healing, man. I, I had, like I said, I had touched psychedelics in a few years and I've, I've dove right back into them like I was supposed to. And it's been very, very, very rewarding. Yeah. Very nice, man. Yeah. yeah I, I have to tell you, um, I, I have not braced myself and actually taken the plunge and done the DMT myself. Um, mm-hmm. It sounds pretty wild. <laughs> man, it takes courage to do psychedelics, man. And, and the one thing that gives me the courage sometimes is, is, is meditation. I've been meditating ever since my breakthroughs. You know, we're on this, like, I'm, I'm laid off. I'm staying at home, so, and it's been super nice out. So I've just been getting to wake up and sitting in my yard in the sun, meditating, listening to music for, like, two hours every morning. Nice. And that really, really, really grounds you. And, and that, that really helps out a whole lot, man. I mean, it's, it really does. Meditation and and yoga is key to stretch out energies and learn to sit with your feelings. So, yeah, those are very, very huge in my practice as well. Um, Mm -hmm. and especially, you know, the last year I've been kind of trying to change it up. Um, it got to the point when I was doing a lot of mushrooms and that same year was the first year I tried San Pedro, um, ayahuasca, mushrooms, you know, I think that's that's it for that year. But there was plenty of it, and even the ayahuasca that the shaman made um, had Amanita muscaria and peyote in it, so antitura. So she was not an ayahuasca. She was more of a bruja. Um, yeah. But, and she was also trying to manipulate people to join her, her, uh, she called it her eco lodge, which is a cult, I think. <laughs> but kind of, kind of strange, the whole thing. But that kind of opened me up quite a bit to where, um, if I do just sitting meditation closed eyed, um, I've actually been able to make myself start tripping, um, just sort of, I guess, retracing my mental steps to mm-hmm. that space. Um, so one time just maybe microdosing a little bit around that time, but just sitting and meditating, um, I entered a space close-eyed that looked disgustingly like laughably like a lisa frank uh you know like 
children's binder from like yeah. the 80s or 90s uh, like rainbow unicorns and kittens and some shit. and like the weird thing is i like after a while i was just laughing at it <laughs> ended up opening my eyes but um i was having open-eyed visuals for like a good hour after that um yeah. And I was also experiencing, because I, I had to lay off for a while after that, um, a little bit of HPPD um, kind of I've stuff. I've had that for probably, I don't know, 13 years or so. Yeah. It, it doesn't bother me whatsoever. It actually helps me tap into it really easily. It, it just it helps me understand that the electromagnetic spectrum has so many variations, and, and I feel like that... Um, I don't know if I'm in tune with it more or mm. like I've exposed myself enough to the vibrations of it that I, I'm aware of the vibrations whenever I sit still. Like, I mean, I don't really know. I've, I've dealt with it for a very long time since my 16 grand mushroom experience. And um, it's just a part of my life. It doesn't bother me. It's whenever I wake up in the middle of the night to use the restroom, I see the green grid lines, open eye visuals every <laughs> wow, single night. Really? Right. That's crazy. So I'll have... Um, I have reactivations almost every night. I'm used to them. Wow. Yeah, I'll just have like... Most times, and it hasn't bothered me really since I started uh, doing mushrooms because I think that made a lot less little things in life bother me. Um, yeah. But I will see like... If you've ever played Mario 64, you know how when he gets oh, like... Yeah close to the painting it ripples a little bit uh, so i'll just be chilling out sometimes and it'll ripple a little bit um mm -hmm. or ever since a particular san pedro trip um where the wood on my floor in the main level of my house there's a you know wood floor and it looked like swirls in an amazon river like the dark brown river was flowing through uh, my living room. So occasionally if I defocus when I'm just like chilling out watching TV, it'll look like a river out of the corner of my eye now as well. Yeah. But yeah. I knew I had done a little bit too much back to back because I had done San Pedro, like small amounts every day for a week to prepare for a big trip in sort of like a, sh a little bit of like a faux shamanic dieta with mm -hmm. um, San Pedro and chamomile um, yeah. was a combination. Um, so the chamomile was sort of my plant ally at that time. And basically did that. And when I came off of a quite a large trip, a few weeks later, I did mushrooms. And then after that, was just sort of chilling on it for a while. But anytime I would just smoke a bowl, I was out walking my dog at night. Um, I would start tripping and I knew I had to lay off when one night I hadn't done anything and I was just taking my dog for a walk, hadn't even smoked yet, and a fucking vortex like out of Rick and Morty or some sci-fi just <laughs> appeared at the end yeah. of the street and I decided maybe I shouldn't walk that way and then I realized, wait, vortexes aren't real and then it <laughs> went away. And uh, there's always a I feel like when you get deep into this stuff, maybe sometimes where it's a good idea to just, as Dennis McCann says, dry up for a little while. Yeah, I know how that goes. 
I've been on, I can eat mushrooms every day and I, I've eaten mushrooms for nine days in a row one time. Wow. Uh, How did that go? It was insane. That's when the, the last day is when I had like those insane open eyed. Uh, I feel like time and reality came to a stop, like open eyed visual, not in a visionary experience, me in the middle of the woods, like, <laughs> uh, uh, I feel like time came to a standstill and out of nowhere the only thing that I saw moving was me like the trees stood still and there was like these tiny little spiral like with like LED lights floating everywhere in the air and I, these are open out of visuals too and out of, out of nowhere like these giant green and like tada colored disc that were like 10 feet wide looked like portals started like popping up like real fast and disappearing throughout the woods like and i could hear them when they'd be close and be like, wah, wah, wah. it was wow. really really wild and these are open eye visuals mind you and and they're like you know things are moving around a little bit and and like one popped up in front of my face and it was really loud and it knocked me backwards and then when i stood up one one like come up in front of me again and i fell into it and whenever i fell into it tom completely stood still wow I looked over at my, my I looked over at my friends. They had stopped the fi- the campfire had stood still, and I don't know what happened. It didn't last for but for about ten or fifteen seconds, and I was sitting there screaming, "Oh my god! Oh my god!" It's like at the top of my lungs. I had no idea what had even fucking happened, and still to this day, have not experienced anything like wow. that before. And um, that's what made them hear me and told me to shut up, actually. <laughs> but, um, I was actually listening to a Terrence McKenna podcast randomly one day, and he started talking about open-eyed visuals of tie-dye disc and that was, like, coming. And I was like, oh, man, I know what he's talking about. Dude, so that leads me to... Tell- mushrooms. That, that leads me to something I wanted to ask you here. Um, have you read uh, Brotherhood of the Screaming Abyss or... Um, Gosh, the experiment in La Terrera. True hallucinations. Yeah, I've read that one. Yeah. Yeah. So true hallucinations. Yeah. Um, I think it's it's interesting because as you're talking about this and some of McKenna's experiences, I just keep I thinking back to when they were putting some of it in their rice, like every uh-huh. single day, just eating them. Yeah, for to food. make their food go further. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. My question for you then is, do you think, so for those who haven't read it, um, you know, they're out in La Chirera, it's the middle of the jungle, um, living in huts and finding psilocybin mushrooms. They'd gone down there looking for ayahuasca, but mm-hmm. discovered mushrooms instead uh, for themselves. Um, right. Really valuable. And uh, they were really valuable, Terrence and Dennis McKenna, anyone who home cultivates psilocybin mushrooms kind of has to thank them a little bit for starting that trend oh, yeah. and putting out one of the first books on how to cultivate. Um, mm-hmm. But it, some of your experiences, like in some of theirs, I feel like after nine, 10, however many days, you know, Terrence is seeing UFOs. Dennis is getting smeared across the universe. Um, yeah. Did your experience feel pretty similar to some of the weirdness they were going through describing? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I, I had an experience where I just floated in an aura light for about four hours. I don't really know what else happened. Uh, just four hours went by and I felt like I was just staring in like white and green and purple, ever changing light and floating. And I tripped for the, about another remainder of three or four hours. Um, 
I have had one of my craziest psilocybin experiences that I haven't shared yet. Um, whenever I got back from Peru, <laughs> whenever I got back from Peru, I was kind of uneducated about what uh, MAOI, you know, is, mm-hmm. and they did, they didn't tell me there that I'm susceptible for a little while to psychedelics. Mm-hmm. And as soon as soon as I got back, within like the first couple of days. I took and ate the mushrooms, and then I, I had just had MAOI like three days before that. So you took some psilocybin. Yes. Oh my goodness. And and within, I'm I'm not shitting you. Within five minutes, I was tripping my balls off, like fading in and out of reality, and I had no idea what was about to happen. So I just went and laid in my bed, and I was, went into the fetal position, and I was like shaking uncontrollably, and I felt like the top of my head was gonna blow off. And as I started fading in and out of this reality, like uh, I felt like I was coming into a space that was very familiar. I felt like I was in a waiting room and like I would come out of this waiting room and there was three different versions of myself. There was like me who I thought I was at that moment, just like observing like this waiting room and where I felt like I knew where I was at. And then I would look forward and it was me on the cross being crucified as christ and then there was another version of me over here like screaming at me to get my shit together and to stop fucking around and stop messing with these medicines like this and i got stuck in a loop like this for about four hours and every single time every single time that i was like observing myself being crucified as christ and you're in the soul prison man I was I was like on, on the cross watching myself as Christ and I would die and then I would come back into my body. And whenever I come back into my body, I was literally like vibrating uncontrollably wow. like in the fetal position and my body would go oh, oh, and relax and like open eyes visually. And my room was a pyramid just floating a 360 with an eye, like a visual, like a realistic eye. It was like staring at me and it just kept happening over and over and over. I don't know how long I would like open my eyes and like let my body untense and just go right back to the fetal position. I did that for four hours. Wow. It was terrifying. And I had a two and a half hour paranoid schizophrenic episode afterwards where I flushed about a thousand dollars worth of psychedelics called my mother. I thought the cops were outside my house and I, I didn't know that this is actually common actually. And when you don't have proper guidance and education on what these things are and do and understanding that, you know, psilocybin processes through your liver as for HODMT. Yeah, I was going to say, like, Mm -hmm. not everybody out there listening probably knows, you know, about MAOI, how it works, and like psilocybin. So can you explain why two grams of mushrooms after doing ayahuasca (laughs) is a bad fucking plan? (laughs) Yes, uh, we have this... um, it's monoamine oxidized inhibitor and the monoamine oxidized is this enzyme in your gut that basically breaks things like that down you know most most things contain dmt like grass contains dmt you know if we didn't have this enzyme in our gut we could eat grass we'd be tripping our balls off just all the time so when you ingest an maoi this inhibitor it blocks that enzyme and so it allows dmt to be oily orally active you know for ayahuasca and and Mm -hmm. pharmawasca and things like that but you can also do this with mushrooms to where three grams would equal 30 dry grams you get almost 100 percent of the psilocybin that's in that mushroom and i did not know this at the time yeah yeah Yeah, you know i have to tell you like anytime i've 
done one kind of medicine too close to another kind. It's always, and it, you know, it's not the same for everybody, but it, it is always synergized to some degree. And I just can't imagine how intense two grams of mushrooms while you still have MAOI in your system would be. It was terrifying. Uh, I didn't touch mushrooms again until last week. Seriously. And I have been, you know, doing a whole lot of work and I decided to sit with them and they rewarded me immensely. They thanked me. They told me how much work I've been doing and that they respect me and I can come and use them again now as an outlaw. I'm very excited about that. I can't wait to eat my first fruits. (laughs) You know, what when you say the mushroom told you, um, mm-hmm. did you see a person? Was it a disembodied voice? Was it, it just was information? Me. It, it was me. It was that third person over there yelling at me, telling me to get my shit together. That was the mushrooms in the version of me going, "Stop using these like this. So you it, don't even it know what you like have." You. Mm-hmm. It was me, like just yelling as you are myself. now. Well, yeah, the except this is uh, February twenty seventeen. Yeah, like the yeah, first yeah, week yeah. of February. Yeah. And, yeah. So you were still allowed outside at that time. <laughs> Do what? I said you were still allowed outside at that time, as as we all were. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um. Wow. So it sounds like you've had a really impactful trip because I I can just tell since uh, I've been talking to you these last few times, it seems like you've got a whole new energy about you i do man i really do like just the last couple weeks have been life-changing coming back to plant medicines after doing all this leg work has been the best thing i could suggest to anybody like there's so many little weird sects to of the psychedelic community right now with the festival kids and this new age spirituality and pseudo spirituality and people who just like get fucked up and and to each their own. Psychedelics are a tool. They'll let you use them for the most part, however they want, until you're ready to change, and then they will show you some shit. But, I mean, there ain't nothing wrong with any of it. I love going to festivals, um, but the last three years, I haven't touched a psychedelic at a festival because it hadn't been my time. But well, now I understand. Go ahead, sorry. Oh, no. I was just going to say, you know, the, the thing about it, too, is, uh, you know, some some folks may look at taking it at a festival as um, being sort of frivolous. But for a lot of people, like festival kids, um, I know for a fact that those guys consider it a very spiritual experience as well. They are. And actually, my buddy Matt, he's 72 years old. I love that man to death. We met in Peru. He started his this journey at 68 years old. I commend him so much for even doing that. You know, it's never too late to start this journey. Oh, yeah. And I, t- I got to take him to his first festival last year at Resonance in, in 2019 in Pennsylvania. It was such a blast getting to see him on MDA and Ford ACO DMT, just like having a blast, a 72-year-old man out there, you know, wearing pants that he got from Peru when we were doing Ayahuasca, nice. and everybody absolutely loving him. It's an old man. I mean, he, he's a beautiful human being. It was it was so special to me to be able to share that with him at 72 years old. Nice. And he absolutely loved it. It was awesome. It was so Had he cool. uh, done anything like that before? Never, nothing even close, and uh, yeah, it was amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. How did he like it? He oh he 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 loved it. He can't wait to go again. He, he wants to go again this year. Yeah, nice. And what what festival did you say that was? Yeah, it's called Resonance. Resonance. It's actually like 
kind of like Papadozio's kind of like their festival a little bit. They kind of do four sets of it, but I love that festival. It's, it's a really good one. It's, you know, quote fans, some really, really good people there. Some festivals get out of line, but this one is really, really locating. It's, it's, it's a good one. It's nice. Good. Like, so what what kind of music do you like to listen to? Like what do you I listen to, to so much different music. Papa Dezio is is up there with my favorite band. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite band is is Tool. Uh, oh, okay. I actually I don't like tell many people that, but they're in the psychedelic community. They understand why Tool would be oh, my favorite band. Reflection and, is that, probably one of my be- favorite songs. Me too. the The whole album Lateralis, like after what oh my, my experience, man. Like I understand just like him breaking his ego down and then writing this rendition of Lateralis as he is like going through this like brutal awakening and then coming out the other side and then his mother died writing Ten Thousand Days and like writing those two songs, 10,000 days, wings for Mary part one and two and healing. It's watching this dude from, I've been obsessed with tools since I was 12 years old. Whenever somebody showed me, uh, you know, like, Oh, or undertow. And then, you know, opiate was already out. And then here's anema right after, you know, I, uh, I guess anema was already out whenever I first started listening to him, but I've been obsessed with them for so long and following them nice. and getting to watch this dude kill himself through his art and his music and then doing whatever the fuck he wants. And like, that's what life is all about. He is successful in his own eyes and he does whatever he wants. And in the meantime, he's rich and famous and he didn't even mean that that to happen. It just happened because he was doing exactly what he was. And that's beautiful. That's what the human condition is about right there. He's gotten to make some really, really cool stuff on the way. Yes. Like he has. We used to sit in high school. Um, this kid uh, really introduced me to Tool. Um, we would sit in his basement and watch music videos on. I think mm, it I was got the like, DVD still. Huh? <laughs> I still have those DVDs. Really? He watched it on DVD. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I have actually VHS tool that's like bright orange VHS tape. Nice. <laughs> that's the, uh, yeah. Yeah, those uh, claymation videos. Oh my gosh. Yeah, Adam Jones, their guitar player, you know, he made most of that. He, really? He, yeah, he was, he did the movies like Jurassic Park and Terminator. He left his dream job in Hollywood as a special effects artist to do the band tool, actually. That's really cool. I know, right? Yeah. Yeah, I remember there was a concert in Denver that came. um, I want to say maybe it was like 2009 or so. This was right before I moved to Fort Collins from Greeley. And uh, I want to say the tickets went on sale online and they got bought in like 11 seconds. Instantly. Total tickets sell out. Oh, my God. And I'd never yeah, heard of anything time. like that because you know I used to go <laughs> yeah, to like dude. Warp Tour every yeah. year, and I got lucky and got to see him up a bunch of times on this tour. <sighs> yeah, it was fucking awesome. But, yeah, I was so just frustrated, and my brother um, got to get in, and he's like the whole time, like, "Oh man, Tool is so good." <laughs> like. I mean, there's Maynard James Keenan, who I just explained kind of what he does. And then you have three of the best musicians, like no shit, man, like on the face of this earth. They're up there with some of the best out there and watching them live is it's spiritual in itself. Just seeing them live, man, they are at the peak of their game right now. They are killing it, man. That sounds like it would be a really fun concert. 
It is. It's, it's. I've seen. I mean, that's all I do is. You know how many shows I go to. Mm-hmm. I go to. A, I mean, I, I went to Red Rocks. I think like ten times last year. I probably saw like seventy-five, two hundred shows last year. Yeah, it I mean, sure counting, seems like you know, you're at Red Rocks. <laughs> Quite a bit. Well, that was you know counting the festivals that I went to. I saw shit probably hundreds of shows. But wow. Those, but um, but shit, totally forgot where I was going with that. But um, oh, uh, total shows. I saw all these shows. Tool still is probably, I think, the best show I've ever seen. And I've seen nice. that many shows. Yeah. You know who was... I mean, I, they are my favorite band, but but they put on an incredible show. They're amazing. Man, yeah. I would love to see just one. Maybe someday. You know, we, we finally... We, we try to do one concert at Fiddler's Green every summer. Mm-hmm. Um, so one we saw recently that was surprisingly good, like, Super fucking good. It's Hollow Notes, actually. Oh, cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, uh, I know, super basic, but <laughs> they, uh, they are. Daryl Hall is like the biggest ham in the world. And <laughs> Oates just sits in the back, just playing yeah. his guitar, like quietly. But they have this amazing saxophonist. And that's cool. Yeah. His name is Mr. Casual, and they call him that because he wears a tuxedo. Um, nice. But I guess back in the day, you know, he's like this skinny, like Rick Astley guy with a bow tie. Nowadays, he looks like a sexy Benjamin Franklin. Like, <laughs> like he's got like the long, he's bald. That's good. He's got the long hair, and he's wearing like all gold sequin fucking suit. And like 1980s sunglasses, <laughs> and just like fucking wailing on the saxophone to the point That's where awesome. like Daryl Hall was getting pissed at him because he had like an eight minutes solo. <laughs> That's funny. He That's was awesome, fucking though. incredible. Was Mr. Casual from Hall and Oates? That's good. That's good. Awesome. <laughs> I didn't That's have nice. like high expectations, but right, yeah. mind blown. <laughs> I mean. We are right here by Denver. Like it's the best music scene, yeah. in, like fucking world, man. It's awesome. Like it's been incredible. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, we're very lucky. I, you know, growing up every summer in high school and probably like three years into, you know, college age or post high school age, um, we went to Warp Tour probably five five years in a row. Nice. That's awesome. Uh, and it was cool because you'd see like little bands playing next to huge bands, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Street Light Manifesto. I, I love ska. They come out here and play two nights every. I've seen them six times since I've been here. I love they're fucking awesome. But they play Warped Tour all the time. Yeah, the bands like that. Yeah, oh yeah. Nice. Are you Music's having amazing. a like hard realization about like tickets that you've bought already for this year? Well. I, I spent a whole lot of money this year, like getting the year ready. And even if like they just give me vouchers of my money back one or the other, I'll have tickets for next year where I can just save money for this year. I'll be cool with it. There's so many good artists like, like I'm trying to support, like doing live streams right now and stuff like that. It'll be okay. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with like being able to sit with myself and, and learn, learn right now. And this is, I mean, I'm it's trying to make really to good. Fuck yeah, it is, man. A lot of people are really struggling with this time, and I'm really very thankful for this time alone. You know, well, every other time I've got to like take time to do alone, I've been made to do it by the courts. So <laughs> this is very nice. Yeah. So. Well, you know, I'll tell you on our end, because um, I'm sure you know, I I was a presumed positive, um, so I was like 
on what I thought was my deathbed for like right, yeah, three days yeah, straight, that. just like, and like, um, in and out of like weird fever dreams. I slept for 20 hours straight in one sit. Um, I only got up like to go to the bathroom, Whoa. drink a little water and like go right back to sleep. And, uh, yeah. So like the whole first couple weeks where everyone was just getting used to the idea and freaking out about it and stuff. I was already at home, presumably with it. Right. Mm -hmm. And like my wife, Sarah had gotten a new, um, job already before this all came down, but her last few days, she was on the unit where all the old folks were coughing and it was the hospital or the first place in Larimer County where they had cases of COVID-19 because her, uh, some, one of her coworkers, family member went to Italy, gave it to her. She came to work, gave it to a old person, like five or I think seven total ended up getting it. Sarah got a sore throat and a cough and a little bit of body aches, but that was it. And, they didn't even know any like COVID was in the area. So they didn't have, no one was wearing PPE yet because it was so early in this whole thing. Um, so she of course has an amazing immune system because she was, you know, in the Navy and lived on a crappy little boat where everyone's cramped and has been a nurse for many, many years. Mm -hmm. So anytime like something goes through her facilities that she works at, she gets like a little tiny bit sick and I end up on my deathbed with, like, the worst version of it. And uh, yeah. so this time was absolutely no different because she, direct line of transmission, it came straight to me. And, yeah, I have, I, I lost about three weeks in there. Where, like, first yeah, I was sick, better. in bed, and then I was super weak, like, almost delirious for a few right. weeks. And, like, half asleep, sleeping a bunch, and everything smelled like oranges which like hear about like a lot of younger people are getting um olfactory symptoms like weird smells weird tastes or loss of taste i didn't really lose my taste and smell as much as everything smelled like oranges uh for like weird it was fucking weird i kept uh telling my wife sarah um you know do you did you just peel a tangerine like what the fuck is going on right now because that's exactly what it smelled like was like tangerines yeah right (laughs) there's there's worse things that you could smell all the time oh yeah definitely yeah but yeah it's glad you made glad you made it through it and everything that's wild yeah you're the first person that i actually personally knew that you know had it so yeah it, it was crazy but so sarah was leaving her job anyway so she stayed home like her last week and then she got a couple weeks until the next job so basically we were we've been home together this whole time we've got an oh shit box for exactly these kind of situations so we didn't have to go to the grocery store and we couldn't because i wasn't supposed to go anywhere for 14 days yeah and then by the time that was over everyone else was having to stay home anyway so i've been i've just kind of been in but the real thing that saved us i'd say is like you can still go outside so we've been gardening a lot we have been going out occasionally to go mushroom hunting find a bunch of oyster mushrooms and Mm -hmm. 
so like the meditative practice for me of both foraging and uh, playing my hand pan is a very trance-inducing sort nice. of thing for me. Um, combination of those two things, and we also got a steel drum recently, so I've been playing a lot. Oh, cool. Like, uh, it's actually a steel pan. It's the Trinidad and Tobago version. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah it, you know, it's called a Jumby Jam, and you can get them, like, pretty cheap compared to anything else uh, in That's that cool. realm. And it sounds fucking amazing. So we've just been out in the sun playing Caribbean music. <laughs> like, That's awesome. And that my uh, two-year-old and my four-year-old be out there dancing, and I'm just playing That's steel cool. drum. <laughs> like, more often than not, they want to try to play it too, though. So yeah, but imagine like being locked in with kids, you know, like that's a whole yeah. other different kind oh, of I'm thing. Sure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I keep well. keep cracking up at all these other parents out there. Uh, you know, they're freaked out that they they've been at home with their kids for two weeks as a a stay at home parent. It's like, yeah. Welcome to my hell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't have any, we don't have any kids or any, we have animals and we're just been hanging out and doing what we want, hiking and nice. yeah, it's been fun. Yeah. Nice. So you've been getting out in the sun a lot? Oh yeah, a lot. Every day. I, I've been literally sitting in my backyard just like meditating like in the sun every morning for like two hours, hour nice. and a half or something. It's been, it's been awesome. Are you guys going to be planting anything outside this summer? Oh yeah, I actually just put up a mini greenhouse that I bought yesterday. So, really? Uh huh. What yeah, are you planning in it? Be besides the obvious. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, all, all my cannabis is in the basement indoors, actually. Um, oh, good. That's so, probably a better um, plan. I actually bought that for my cactus because they need more sunlight from being inside all winter long. So mm -hmm. I'm gonna put my cactus in there, and then we're gonna we get a bunch of seeds. We're gonna start in there, which might be a week or two behind, anyways, for seeds. But uh, yeah, we're gonna grow a bunch of peppers and probably some some squash and zucchini and corn and it's not not the ordinary, just you know, basic nice. ones, plenty of tomatoes. And, so how yeah. is it gonna be greenhouse this whole summer? Or are you planning like how big is it? Uh, oh, it's not that big. It's like six by six, like seven foot tall. Like okay, a peak that's still pretty yeah. nice. It, yeah, it's decent. Yeah, it's not bad. I can fit quite a bit in there. So yeah. Nice. Is was it like a hoop house or like a kit that you put together? Or? It's a kit that I put together. Yeah, with that bullshit instruction that was like ridiculous. I can't believe I figured it out the way I did. But... I think I might know the exact one. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I, I've been reviewing quite a bit of them. So. Oh right. Uh -huh. okay. We want to. Yeah. Um, I've taken European palette collars. They're uh, basically the top of palettes. Uh, that get shipped in from Europe. So we have the Vestas plant out in Windsor, yeah. right? So yeah. they send a ton of these. Um, basically, it's a, a box on hinges. So they ship them to Uncle Benny's out in Loveland. We pick them up secondhand for like 10 bucks each. Nice. Those That's raised cool. bed kits often are like $50 or something. So I just bought four of them a few years ago and this year we bought two more to expand just to be more food self-reliant yeah. this summer just just in case because they're talking about strain you never know i know chain you know or supply mm. chain so yeah but you know you just open it up because it's on hand just pop it on the ground and you have a raised bed right there so that's what's up that's cool yeah we, we've been talking for a few years because i've 
situate them to where eventually we could put a hoop house. Yeah, right. Over them, yeah. Because I think that'd be pretty nice to be able to have, like, a hoop house and then a couple beds of greens with a second hoop on them so you can do greens Mm -hmm. all winter long. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool, cool. That's the dream. I'm a little bit of a gardening nerd this time of year. I like gardening as well. I love plants. I have so many plants in my house, like probably have at least 50 or 60 plants in my house nice and that's not that's not counting my six cannabis plants downstairs too so nice the perfect six yep well, I, got, I can have 12 actually i just don't have uh i already cut down my, my flower recently because i have a, my make card i can have 12 plants so. okay yeah, yeah i think with us we could have 12 too if we wanted just because there's two adults um right right you know, mm-hmm. But, I'm not sure how that works with that. They changed the laws, but last July was all that stuff. So, and I think Fort Collins's limit is 12 now, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I have no idea. Which Every county is different. Utah plus two people, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, we we've got an interesting one that you might appreciate. I know we touched on this the other day, um, but you'll probably appreciate what goes into taking it out of dormancy. Um, so the Bakanawa, um, read, which that episode about that plant would have been the previous one to this when I post it. Um, but the Bakanawa, this, uh, psychedelic bull rush, um, that I found out about a while ago, um, basically is a wetland growing sort of plant. So you have to keep it in moist soil or sand, for like a few months um, and keep it cold before you sprout it because you have to simulate um, winter. Right, right. So Interesting. One thing that I've done um, because I, for a couple years ago, for a totally unrelated project where I was feminizing some seeds, um, I had some gibberellic acid. Um, so it has like a few different potential application you can use it to feminize seeds or one thing that archaeologists do is when they um have a very very old seed that maybe they found in an urn that they've dug up um basically whatever the um chemical within the seed that's responsible for giving it enough energy to germinate um gets replenished by the soak of gibberellic acid so you can plant a thousand year old seed but never germinate even though all the dna and everything inside is perfectly intact right so if you okay. get like a 24 hour light soak in a gibberellic acid solution um it'll bring seeds out of dormancy uh either much faster or at all in some cases so this year i've used it to revive a 10 year old uh <clears throat> strain of tobacco that i had when i realized um, this old Spanish heirloom tobacco, uh, I realized that the seed company no longer exists, so you can't really get that strain anymore. So I grew it just to preserve it. Um, but as I was researching how to do that, I came across another article saying that you can use it to shorten dormancy periods on super stubborn seeds. So I've got... Um, these Bakanawa seeds, I did them in a soak of gibberellic acid. So instead of having to soak it for like a month or two um, in the fridge, it should only be a week 
so I've taken huh, some out to really terminating cool. now. So interesting. Yeah, it'd be be interested to see how that goes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna do like a side by side comparison in four stages where um I take a couple pots out every week and label them. I'm gonna right, see right. just how much does it change the germination rate over time. Mm-hmm. So Okay. Hmm. Yeah, okay, cool. At, at the end of it, either way I'll be left with some uh psychedelic ergot containing bullrush roots. So. Yeah, we'll see what it's all about. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I have the uh, the balls to try them though. I don't yeah. know. What about you? Uh, yeah, I, I probably will. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> uh, All right. Do a little bit of research. We'll see you briefly. And... <laughs> my my hope is that someone, after seeing some of these videos, um, will contact us about Bakanawa and That'd be cool. yeah, say, yeah. "Hey, I've had an experience with it. Here's how you prepare it. Here's what my experience was." I know. I can't believe you can't find anything in Airwood about it. Zero. Like, I know it's crazy. Out of all places, Airwood. Like, so we'll see. Yeah, and yeah. literally, my YouTube videos, the very first one, first time anyone has ever talked about it on YouTube that I can find. Wow, There's that's certainly crazy. been no dedicated videos to it, um, but um, maybe someone might have mentioned it in pa- passing. But literally the only thing I can find about Scirpus Acutus whatsoever is just videos from like USDA, here's what this plant looks like, kind of right. very mm-hmm. dry material. So it's, mm-hmm. I'd love to have someone from Mexico tell us about what they're I know, that is. would be cool. Yeah, yeah, that would be cool to contact somebody that knows about the tribe who uses it or had, or had used it or we'll see. We'll see what comes of it. So. Yeah, I I have a feeling that someone will come for it at some point. Yeah, yeah, cool. cool. Yeah, even well, man, I, it's been uh, it's been good. This I think this went really, really well. Yeah, well, we've been going for quite some time now. How long have we been going? Gosh, goodness, looks like at least an hour thirty. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Well, you want to you want to wrap it up and call it a call it a night there. I don't know. Six more hours. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well. I think so. I think so. Um, well, at this point, I just want to thank you for taking the time to come on. Yeah, thank you. I think this is going to be a good opportunity for both of us, and I'm really excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I guess we'll see you guys next time, and hopefully yeah, we'll see definitely. more of Drew here on the cast. And Yeah, you should definitely be seeing more of me. So Absolutely. So thank you guys, everyone who stuck with us and watched this whole time. If you have any uh, questions, comments, please feel free to um, put them down below. Make sure to share and subscribe if you haven't already. And uh, just uh, thank you from the bottom of my heart from listening. And uh, let me know what you thought. If you have any information on Bakanawa, please, please, please contact me. So, yeah, right. definitely. Yeah. Thanks, Drew. Yeah, thanks, man. I'll see you later. Bye-bye.